It's the Kylie Minogue album, Chock-A-Block, full of contradiction. Some say it's her most creative piece of work, a masterpiece, which proves Kylie is much more than a pop puppet. Yes, she can write, she can create music as well, but on the other hand, it performed poorly in the commercial world. But possibly not as poorly as some of the fans tend to think, or spruik when they rewrite history, which Kylie fans tend to do. Impossible Princess is often hailed by fans as the holy grail of Kylie Minogue albums, yet at the very time of its release, I recall very clearly her fan base were very loudly chanting for a return to pure pop. Pure pop was the term they were using. It is indeed the album of contradiction. Even the album title is not clear. Rick and Gareth are with me via Skype to make sense of this mystical Minogue enigma. Welcome, both of you. Morning, gentlemen. Morning, everyone. An important place to start. Do either of you actually listen to this album regularly? I do. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Well, it's my favourite Kylie album. Tell Mine us. Too. Tell us about it, Rick. Um, I love that it's unique. I love that it's um, a massive departure from what we'd had before. I just relate to all the songs. I think it's her struggle um, with um, her life and and all the pressure that was put on her. I think that it all came out when she when she wrote all the songs um, and produced three of them. I think that it's just her. I think this album is probably the most honest album she's released. Um, I don't think she's released one since has been as honest. And I know it copped a lot of crap from some fans saying that they wanted the pop back, but. I think this saved her career, to be honest. Gareth, there is a lot of yearning in this album, isn't there? I always imagine Kylie in the fetal position with some of these songs. There's a lot of angst. Absolutely. And I guess that's where the, having one of her albums that is quite dark, like fetal position makes you think she's kind of emotional wreck, but there's kind of a strength that runs through it. And, um, you know, putting up a fight, there's a, like a, a theme through many of the songs. So. That's why it's so easy to revisit, because it stands quite differently from so much of her work. And for me, I, lo I love the album too, but I have to admit this is not one that I play regularly. And, but I don't think that's because of the album per se. For me, this is an album that you should listen to when you're uh, trying to achieve a certain mood, um, or if you're already in a certain mood. For me, it's a very... Um, like you say, I take your point that there's inspiration and hope and strength in this album. But for me, it's still a very dark album. It, it's one that I only want to listen to at night when the kids are in bed or if I'm thoroughly depressed or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is not why we usually go to, to Kylie, is it? So, But I, I take your point. There is a strength in there as well. It's a very moody album. I think it just oozes mood. I think that you, you're kind of, you're right. You probably should listen to it when you're looking for that. But I don't know. I just really love the album. I'll, I'll put it on while I'm walking. To, to look back about how this album was developed, uh, it took two years for a start, and it felt like I remember at the time, Kylie withdrawals big time. Where is she? I was worried. I was thinking, where, where is where's she gone? And then you hear these rumours that she's coming back with something very avant-garde. Bjork, or Bjork, whatever she calls herself these days, was an influence. So, But it did take a long time to develop this album. It feels like that, but, um, you know, we were just used to... Kylie albums almost every year in the late 80s and <laughs> that's true you know all this happened within a quite a narrow period of time if you kind of follow the you know the unreleased tracks the remixes you kind of see the progression that leads her to and part of that was you know the brothers of R rhythm remixes from um, KM94 so 
you kind of see this progression to Impossible Princess that makes it feel quite natural in the end. As much as we love the um, KM94 album, I think that um, we needed something different. And I think she hit uh, a niche with this album, and especially in Australia. I think people stood up in Australia when they heard this album, especially the critics and especially a lot of the um, so-called real musos (laughs) that struggled, you know. Um, I think they started to stand up and listen and realise that, um, yeah, she can actually do this. She's not this person that stands there and has handed a sheet of music with the words and and is told to sing she's created something that's very personal and a little interesting tidbit a little fact that puts this all in perspective this was the longest time kylie had ever spent on any professional project since neighbors wow which goes to your point gareth around you know in the 80s we're just like yep album one two it was it was like it was a manufacturing line and that's what we all know it was in hindsight another interesting fact too this was apparently the first time she recorded songs with live instrumentation not even during Kylie Minogue 94 where I thought that might have happened but this was the first time she actually recorded with live instrumentation amazing yeah and you have to look at the um the list of um instruments that was played it's I you wouldn't have seen that on previous albums, I don't think. I think KM94 probably touched a little bit into it, but on this album, it's just, you know, you've got trumpets, cellos, you know, it was just everything. It was a massive big orchestra arrangement around. It was great. The first single off the album, Some Kind of Bliss. Now, we've got to go back in time and remember, we hadn't heard the full album. So the first single is just like dancing is today it gives you a bit of a flavor about what might be to come well the video clip is amazing in that um she looks incredibly hot and it's you know it's distinct it's got a bit of a story so that's great i understand why it was chosen as the first single as kind of a bridge between um i guess catchy pop of her last of her previous kind of career and a hint towards the rocks kind of side of this album but um it doesn't really represent the album so and there are far better yeah songs like i believe limbo was tossed up as you know was intent was supposed to be the lead single now limbo was an interesting one because if you'd led off with that that would have misled everyone about what this album was all about wouldn't it because limbo doesn't represent impossible princess at all I think it's more representative of the album than what Some Kind of Bliss is. If you listen to Some Kind of Bliss, I don't really think it gives you any idea of what the album was. I think it it's just, I don't know, I probably wouldn't have put it on the album, to be honest. I love the video clip. If, if I'm going to listen to the albums, I'll skip Some Kind of Bliss sometimes because it just throws me out a little bit with the rhythm mm. of the album. And, and I agree with that too. And Rick, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a step further and say I hate some kind of bliss. And it's so rare I say there's a, a Kylie song that I hate, but I there's something about maybe something was going on in my life at the time. Who God knows why music does and doesn't resonate. But this one is a song I will even during the tours. I've never it, it's never brought new life to it for me. I cannot stand it, and I know I'm not alone. Maybe in this conversation no. I am, but I I know there are people out there who stand with me. Some kind of bliss. It's just it's hideous. I, I love the lyrics, and they kind of it, it fits with the the style of lyrics that she's obviously written for other songs because there's, you know, while it's... Uh, well, the music is... The sound is upbeat. The actual the lyrics, you know, point to, you know, again, that kind of um, 
getting overcoming darkness and looking on the bright side of things. But what was the other... video clip about, though? Because if, if that's true, what you're saying around the lyrics, because I've, I've never been able to make sense of this track, and God damn it, maybe you can finally make, make me make sense of it, but the lyrics of the video clip and that little guy from the press gang out of that UK show, <laughs> what's going on? Were they robbing a bank or were they not paying for their petrol? What the hell's going on in that video clip? And why does it have anything to do with the lyrics? <laughs> well, it, uh, uh, Kylie, if you're listening, I'm angry about this song. It really annoys me. <laughs> it's not the first time she's done a song like that. I mean, Into the Blue is another example where, to me, the, the video, and I don't want to jump to that, but the video doesn't have any bearing towards what well, I can see, towards yeah. the lyrics. Do you know, we're, we're about to talk about track two, but I found it interesting when I was doing a little bit of research for this album. I thought I already knew a lot about it, but... Apparently, a lot of the tracks were written about her relationship with... I can never pronounce his name. Is it Stefan? He was the photographer who did all the artwork yeah. for this. Stefan Sednawi. Sednawi or something. Oh, I love it when you say that, Rick. Speak, speak more French to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, something like that. He, he had a profound influence. Him, he Between him and Nick Cave, and then, of course, uh, Brothers in Rhythm, that was a profound impact on her around this time, I believe. And, but I didn't realise a lot of these tracks, like Cowboy Style, which is track two on the album, phenomenal track, was actually about her relationship, about meeting him for the first time. What do we make of Cowboy Style? It adds variety. I can't say it's my favourite, but um, musically it adds variety to it. I liked it. I thought it was kind of funky. I loved it in concert, the Intimate yeah. Live Tour. I thought it was great. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. It's kind of cool. Cool. And I did like the video clip that they did the Las Vegas sort of style. I thought that fitted the song great, actually. Well, the video clip was lifted straight from Intimate and Live. I believe that was, uh, well, it was the first time that she'd ever lifted a video clip from a concert tour before, which was exciting. Yeah, though she was really skinny um, mm -hmm. and really withdrawn in herself, in the body. And I remember uh, when they put the cover of um, Cowboy Style on it, there was a lot of talk about her health back then and had she pushed herself too far, but um, I, I thought it's an iconic, iconic cover. If you have a look at the um, cover of the CD single, it's beautiful. I love the picture. Cowboy style kind of injects a bit of sexuality, kind of old school Kylie sexuality into the album because a lot of the other songs like don't really have it. Um, so yeah, I think some of the lyrics are a bit, you know, I'm enlightened, I'm aroused mm. and obviously you know, the sexy photographs that we've, we all agree and that accompany the single. So, yeah, I think it's, it's it has a great place in the album. It does. Now, I've just realised I've been really naughty, haven't I? I've, I've, I? We started off with Some Kind of Bliss because that was single one, but track one on the album is one that, if I'm not mistaken, Kylie wrote herself on a piano tinkering away and then ran it down to uh, Brothers and Rhythm for it to be, you know, produced into a song boy does this set a scene what do you both make of too far i, I absolutely adore the um the song and in particular the the brothers of rhythm or i think it's the brothers of rhythm remix that's on yeah. um impossible remixes album yes. it's it's long it's moody and it's i mean it's it's epic in terms of how it you know how it sounds and it, the build up which you, you know you're, you're barely getting pop songs um but yeah, to have it on it as a Kylie song, oh, I was incredible. And being the opening number for Intimate and Live was just worked absolutely perfectly. Oh yeah, with your eyes up the top, that was brilliant. Yeah, it's it should have been a single, I think. 
Was it given a? It might have been given oh, a, a limited release. And to think that she wrote that track is, and she also wrote "Love Traffic" on Danny's album. It tells me like she's a pretty eclectic writer. She can do a lot of different things. I used to be able to recite the whole thing word for word, but and it is a me bit too. Of, <laughs> I mean, when you have a look at verse three, if you have a look through it, it's got like, "I want to see all of it crumble and start afresh and over again." I think that's just her. Like she has so many. I think I remember an interview where she said she feels like she's possessed, and she has all these. Um, parts of her that come out and I think that we see her start over and over again and like I think it was mentioned before about how they're all part of it and so honest they're so true and I think we've seen so much of um, different Kylie over the years and I think that's when it come into um, did it again a little bit later you'll see that but um, I think this was her way of um, starting again sort of um, you know introducing herself again I suppose and Mr. Will Baker, uh, much maligned by many of the fans, unfairly so, he also said, if you want to understand who Kylie Minogue really is, go and read the lyrics to the Impossible Princess album tracks. He said, that's all you'll need True. to know. Uh, we move forward through track three, Some Kind of Bliss, because that's where we started. Number number four, Did It Again. Now, for some fans, and I'm going to put my hand up, I'm going to be the one who aggravates you both, because I know you're huge Impossible Princess fans, and I am too, to a lesser degree. But Did It Again was, for me, like a return to some semblance of pop roots, and then the video clip too, fun. So track four, Did It Again, and single number... Two. <laughs> I'm getting so confused by this. But anyway, it was certainly single number two. This was this is an extraordinary moment in her career, isn't it? Do you both agree with that? I think for me, it's more the, the video made it epic. Um, the song is great, but doesn't really stand out for me anymore. I personally think she was just having a crack at everybody. Um, I think she was just sort of. We're all so quick, and especially the media, they're so quick to put her in a in baskets yep. uh, and to and put a little put her in a corner and say this is you this is what we expect from you don't branch out don't be pushing yourself out anywhere else because this is what you are um, and you look at the lines clever girl think you're right but what's right from wrong little miss genius so I don't know I think she's just having a swipe I think and I I like it I don't think it's fan, I don't think it's the best but I do like it I do like that's my take on it that's what I get from it I, if that's what she's doing then I think it's great. Absolutely. And and yes, and like all fantastic artists who have any sense of longevity, which obviously Kylie does, they eventually take ownership of the criticism. And that's exactly what this track does, and the video clip in particular. By the way, need to get this verified. Is it Little Miss Genius or Little Mischievous? Ooh. I, I think Genius. I've always thought it was Genius, but in the video clip, there's a little reference to Mischievous. Which is very annoying, very confusing, Kylie. Again, she's been wrapped over the knuckles, just like this song is meant to do. It's a little bit of self-punishment, so it makes sense that I'm saying this here. Anyway, maybe someone can leave us a comment about that. What is what is the actual line? I've seen it written on different websites differently too, so it's very hard to verify. Now, here's a question True. for Kylie fans, which really separate into two camps. Breathe, track five on Impossible Princess. Album version or single version? Album version. Go for it, Gareth. Why, why, why album version? The yearning and aspect that the slowness of it. Yeah, there's a rhythm to it, but that's where the appeal for it. So I've, you know, it was actually the first track that I really um, loved of the album. Cause, yeah, I guess listening to the album for the first time is a bit jarring, but it was the first album track that I really connected with. 
it's like I wasn't a fan of it as a single because you know it's, it's a bit safe. It's a bit of a safe choice. I don't actually connect with the lyrics of many Kylie Minogue tracks. Funnily enough, as a super fan, I can on- honestly say that. But breathe goes through my head at least once a week, one of the lyrics, because I'm in situations which I would never expected to have found myself in life, and often these uh, lyrics for Breathe come out. And then it's just an expression for Kylie fans too, isn't it, when you're excited about one of her new releases, like the Golden Album, Breathe, It Won't Be Long Now, Breathe, It Won't Be Long Now. And I always said before she did it, always said, and I swear to God they stole this from me because you can go back on Say Hey and read the post. I said they need to use that in those moments before she actually comes on stage. And then they did it. So I take credit for that, and I hope you both don't mind. (laughs) No, it's my go-to song. It really is. I love it. And I actually breathe, (laughs) and I think to myself, it won't be long now, the crap's going to be over, it's all going to be good. And it's uh, if, if I'm listing my top five songs, it's definitely in the top five. And she did a performance on Hey Hey, It's Saturday. Yes. I, I thought it was extraordinary. I yeah. just thought it was so honest. Uh, it was just beautiful. It's a beautiful song. I love it. When she performed all of these tracks live, and I know that there's criticism about the amount of promotion she did or didn't do around this album and how it contributed maybe to it not being as successful as it might have been, but all of the performances I saw, there was pride because she obviously participated in this creation. She was so excited and there was just pride. And I, I also think it's worth nodding to the uh, more modern versions of Breathe off the Abbey Road sessions and she did the backstage acoustic version of Breathe. Um, it's a beautiful track. And she wants people to know she wrote it, by the way. She's really, for all her, any track she wrote, she's quite eager, subtly, but she subtly lets people know, I wrote that, I wrote that, I wrote that. Track six is Say Hey. Now this was, um, just like Too Far, it, it was a track written exclusively by Kylie herself. For me, it's a little bit of a half song. It's, I think it's probably one of the, my least favourite on the album. I'm a little the same. I, I kind of like, I have it on. But it, it didn't really catch me, really, to be honest, uh, even live. And it sits well where it's at in the album. I just, it's, it's not a standout, I don't think. Drunk is track seven on Impossible Princess. Drunk is crazy. Drunk's a crazy track. What do we make of it? I call it the acid track. <laughs> yep. Is that because you drop acid before you listen to it, Rick? Or? No. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just, it's just, it's just like a. I don't know. It's everywhere. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. It's it's yeah. It's kind of everywhere. I, I I I don't think I've ever understood what it what it's about. Maybe I'm just missing the point but yeah i call it the acid track i call it the i'm stuck in my jumper track it just it feels like she's just <laughs> trying to get out of something like she's just it's it's just crazy it's nuts gareth be the voice of reason here we're being stupid you know i guess yeah the words of this whole album are great and again a song like this has some great lines in it so i love it I Don't Need Anyone is track eight on the album. And this always reminds me of K25 because she performed that brilliant um, sort of monthly unlock, whatever they called it. I think it was backstage of the anti-tour, actually. But I Don't Need Anyone. Um, I I struggle to like this song. I struggle. Correct me. Tell me I'm on the wrong track. You are. It's (laughs) one of the... uh, Maybe I'm just by myself. I doubt it. 
it it went off at the um, Intimate Live. I like, oh, and yeah. I just love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, Am I alone? <laughs> it it's good, but it's I guess that kind of the sound kind of feels like it's copying the other kind of you know Brit pop kind of sound around the time. So it, um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't not one of my favourites. Um, I'll put it but this yeah. way, Gareth. If if she was my girlfriend and she was writing that song and singing that song to me and going, "What do you think?" I'd just be like packing my suitcase. I'm out of here. Really, <laughs> so depressing. Like well, seriously, the first, the first line is, "I feel like speed." So, <laughs> you know, she's either a drug addict. Yeah. Hey, but if Kylie Minogue's your girlfriend, you're going to want to stay regardless, right? Probably I would, yeah. <laughs> That's probably yeah. true. If it was any other woman then, I'd be thinking the writing's on the wall if she's singing the lyrics to this song. I have to admit, even though I've said I can't get into this song, that's true, but I, I do love the lyrics of it. I, I think it's really clever. I don't need anyone except for someone that I don't know. I think that's really clever lyrically, and obviously that's where she really shines, I believe, in the writing process. I think lyrics are what yep. she does, poetry, yes. things like that. Oh, and, and that is as... Well, quite frankly, it's overused, but it's a genius lyric. I don't need anyone except for someone that I don't know. It sticks with me. So even though I don't like the track, I, d I do relate and uh, really respect that the writing in that. Track nine is but jump. Again, oh, sorry, go ahead, mate. Um, just again, the, there's not many lyrics in this in this song like some of the others. So yeah, there's kind of like for me, it could have been a bit more than it than it is, or developed a bit more. And I think with hindsight now. I see, as much as I love the album and think it's amazing, I wish some ideas had be kind of been fleshed out a bit more and um, musically it was a bit more lush because it's um, some of the sounds, I guess, updated a fair bit. But, um, yeah, it's, it's still a great song. Turn this song up to the loudest you can. Which song? And just let rip this one. I don't need anyone. Just turn it up <laughs> as loud as it can go and let rip <laughs> destroy the lounge room with dancing all right rick i'll give it a go and i'll come back uh, you won't i'll be speaking very loudly because i am getting old now but i'll turn it right up <laughs> actually we <all> yeah <laughs> that's it <laughs> kylie's fan community generally is so jump i love jump track nine on impossible princess so run to the future and jump again lyrically i mean it's splendid and i have a feeling william baker like this he well he certainly used it in his white diamond documentary excessively uh i run to the future and jump what do we make of track nine love it love it love it <laughs> again the poetry of the lyrics um i have dread and fear and light and laughter and i know there is no ever after i'm eager and ready um it only hurts sometimes i mean it's cheeky as well like mm. but just it's you know pop poetry yeah track 10 is limbo Limbo shows that Kylie could have been the dance club queen, I reckon. Um, but it was also slated as a possible lead single from the album as well. Where does Limbo sit in both of your opinions? Probably my favourite track on the album. Should have been probably, the, I don't know, I know it was discussed as being the lead single, but it then abandoned. But um, yep. it's got everything and worked great live as well. Um, absolutely love it. Tell me, what, tell me if you've ever heard of this, uh, Rick or Gareth, that Limbo um, was written in Spain where Minogue discusses her inability to leave a certain country to meet someone due to bureaucracy laws. 
Now, am I, am I being had? Is this an April Fool's joke, or is, do you reckon that's true? I don't know. I'm trying to leave a certain country due to bureaucracy laws. <laughs> I'm in limbo. I mean, when I when I read that and went back and read the lyrics and listened to the song, it could fit, which is scary. Was she sitting in an airport? Well, she's killing time. I mean, literally. <laughs> it's amazing. I'd love to ask her that. You know, one day I'm going to get the, the interview with Kylie that all fans want, and I'm going to ask her all the fan questions that you'd never hear in mainstream media. This is one of the questions... It's really frantic. It's a song, isn't it? Like it, it races. Like it you feel it. Like I, I know that when I listen to it, I kind of feel like I'm a bit frantic when, when it comes on. And it's just, it's fantastic. I think it's one of the best songs she's ever done. I, I think, it, I think that is Impossible Princess. To be honest, a line like you know, time has no meaning. You know, all of it wasted. It could be her waiting in an airport. <laughs> yeah. I think we're looking at it with new eyes now. Beautiful interpretation, or beautiful is the wrong word, but a great interpretation of Intimate and Live too. All those, uh, you know, the dancers struggling. Do you think Intimate and Live with this album was the first time that she had creative control over an, a tour? Because uh, it, it was very different to um, the Rhythm in Love and uh, the Enjoy Yourself and all those other tours that we had. It was, um, yeah, I think it was the first time that she sort of took a little bit of control over a, um, a tour. I'd agree with that. You get certainly that backstage um, footage shows, you know, they're there. You know, she has a very intimate relationship with wardrobe, with the creative people, with her musicians, with her band. Uh, certainly that contradicts what the backing singers, well, Denny Hines was a backup singer in the Rhythm of Love slash Let's Get To It. Uh, well, yep. for, the, for the Rhythm of Love section of that tour. And she said that Kylie didn't interact at all, but Denny Hines has got her own problems, frankly. But, yeah, it's... It, it, <laughs> let's it, not go there. It, yeah, let's not go there. But it, it, you could be right about that. You absolutely could be. I, I do think it's also worth noting that even though we might like to think that it was a clever idea for Kylie to do the intimate settings, that was much more a response to the fact that she wasn't going to sell out stadiums at the time. This album... Uh, commercially didn't do what they thought it would do and hoped it would do so I think there was actually a very practical reason for the intimate but they she took it and she ran with it and I'm going to let you Rick talk soon after we go track by track about why you think this saved her career but that might be part of the, the reason here that is going back to her roots. And she did have the John Farnham band at the time remember too so Tony. that's um, right. Yeah it was, it was very different the sound I think I think they, they made it authentic I thought yeah, I don't know. It was probably... I love that tour. Through the years, what do we make of this? You know how certain you know singers have songs that kind of capture their entire career, like with a, like a, a bit of a nod to looking back? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. This is kind of... I mean, Dreams as well, but yeah, this is, you know, one of those. I think this is a mark of just what a good writer she actually can be, that so many of her tracks, they operate on many different levels, and this is one of them, because apparently it was written about a meeting, a chance encounter with an ex-boyfriend while she's in a current relationship. But you can also look at it as, you know, a retrospect on her own career, her life. I mean, it's so many levels. That's what good art does. You know, you can interpret it, and, and you can make of it as the listener or as the person looking at the art. You can take it from it what you will. And that's what it's such a sensual song, I think. Sensual, mm. yeah. It's just, yeah, it can take you and and put you in a different sort of mood, a different feel. Dreams is the final track. Now, this is a huge 
phenomenal fan favourite. We we love this song. It, and again, lyrically, I think it speaks volumes about where Kylie was at the time. And in terms of how she can write too, boy, can she write? Because this is a this is a beautiful track, and what a great way to end and close the album, right? It's a perfect end. I think, yeah, it's. I can see why it's a fan favourite. It's very personal. It's just, it's it's, it's extraordinary. I, I I gush over it. I think a little bit <laughs> because of how great it is and the lyrics. You just, they're just brilliant. I like. I find it hard. It, it's it's kind of like a um, contradiction in itself, really. Gareth? I was just last week listening to the Homecoming live version of this and, um, you know, where she, towards the end, she says, and this is, yells out, and this is one of my dreams, you know, this song captures everything. Yeah. Everything amazing yeah. about the album and also the, what, everything that's that was amazing about her career to that point. Definitely one of the highlights, if not the highlight of the album. Again, we don't need to remind super fans that it was titled Impossible Princess, then Diana had her uh, the accident and, and died. Uh, there was a flurry of decision-making around this album. It was renamed only in the UK, Kylie Minogue, which is very confusing since that was exactly the same name as her previous album with Deconstruction. And there was another album, her first one, Kylie, so then we all of a sudden had three albums named after her per se but the artwork is incredible did everywhere around the world get the 3d version like we got here at in us oh actually i think in australia there were two different versions but the 3d versions just that's a master i think it was only in australia bloody masterstroke though i mean it's fantastic it just looks looks incredible personal stories don't quite fit in these podcasts but this is worth saying i was not in sydney and I was very frustrated because I couldn't be in Sydney for the release date of this album. Plus, there was pushbacks. It was just incredibly frustrating, the release of this album. When's it going to come? I happened to be in Mudgee, of all places, which, for those that don't know, it's inland of Sydney by about four hours. So, yeah, middle of nowhere. And I got it from a tiny shop. I was really annoyed. The person I was with going, don't worry, they'll have it. And I'm going, you don't understand. Not even Sydney's going to have it. Why would these people? They had it. In a special box. Wow. That's why I mentioned the box before. I saw him get the pen knife, open the box. So that was my experience of buying it. But I digress. <laughs> what do you make, Gareth, <laughs> of the artwork for this album? I love, I mean, the, yeah, the, that, that shade of pink and that blue and just the colours are amazing. I love the photography. I know so many fans were critical of, especially the, the standard cover. You know, we'd always had Kylie in kind of, cute then sexy kind of poses and this was her you know kind of crouched down like a like an animal almost mm. and, and looking almost alien like with you know the her skin having that kind of silvery tone to it mm. so it was definitely you know something different and i, I kind of liked that it wasn't you know what she had in the past of trying to um you know it wasn't your standard kind of sex appeal that she was going for and um so i i love the whole scheme of it it was pure and, art wasn't it she certainly had the cheekbones from another planet that's for sure she did it's kind of like she's been picked up and dropped in and yeah in a good way because it just works uh i read somewhere that it was inspired by the french and the japanese pop culture uh, right? and the fact that she was shot by a boyfriend i think makes it just a little bit more comfortable but i, I just 
the just the look in the album was brilliant and how they recreated it when they did the tour i think it was great too i love the light around her and i remember um william baker saying that they had to have a uh, staircase that lit up uh for the concert tour because that's what she does when (laughs) yeah she lights them up and i thought that's what she does with an album cover you you can have all this going around her but when when you look at an album cover you're drawn straight to her it doesn't matter what's around her she just draws you in i think that's even more on the um impossible princess album you can tell the intensity of her relationship with that uh photographer through his work you can tell the images that you took a lot of love and care and experimentation and risk for and all of the photos from this era are just done with um someone who wants her to succeed wants her to fly wants her to achieve and love and i can see that through the photography it's also different and so tender so detailed it's it's incredible artwork so impossible princess in summary (laughs) it does it does it deserve that reputation as being the highlight of her professional career I think for a lot of us, it came at a time in our lives where, um, yeah, a lot of change was happening. I mean, at least for me, you know, I was in my early 20s, I think, yeah, or late teens. Um, and it kind of represents that. So I, I'm aware that for some fans, it's purely because it represents a certain time in their lives. And Rick, you, you said earlier that you, you think that this saved... Her, you think Impossible Princess saved her career? 100%. Like, if you go back to 88, 89, the early 90s, when all the crap that was going on about the, you know, commercial radio wouldn't play her music, yeah. um, if you if the critics were really harsh on it, and if you told somebody you were a Kylie Minogue fan, you had to duck sometimes. Um, I got a bash. Although I remember... Yeah, yeah, no, I remember you saying that. It's terrible. And, and we cop so much crap from being um, Kylie fans and I remember I used to have a Kylie shirt I used to wear around I didn't care I just wore it um, but I was pretty out there as a fan but um, I think Impossible Princess came at a time where people were at a point where she's a has-been like the KM94 album it didn't really do much um, and I think Impossible Princess was where she stood out and people that were critics and and the snobbery of the Australian music industry, let's be honest, um, they started to take notice. And then they're like, oh, these are really good songs. And then they go back through it and they go, oh, she wrote some of these songs. She wrote all these songs. You know, I think that's where people started to stand up and take um, an interest in her and not just think of her as um, Michael Hutchins' ex-girlfriend, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think that's where she sort of come alive and people started to listen and i know that i had friends that didn't like her and used to crap on me and they were like this album's fantastic and it went really well in clubs really well in clubs and in terms of what makes an icon especially especially like an australian musical icon you, you kind of need the both the commercial success and the critical acclaim so for me i only yeah the point at which she became an icon in australia at least was with this album even though it you know didn't didn't sell like as much as you know the ones later but that's when everything changed for her here for the better and i remember you know the hottest 100 had you know inviting me and did it again on there and you know you have to kind of people want to see 
you know, uh, and really attach themselves to an artist, even if they don't necessarily buy their music. They want, they love seeing that a journey and someone transforming and coming into their own. And this was, you know, the ultimate Australian pop music journey of someone in a space of what less, you know, in ten years she, you know, transformed. There's just so much poetry in Kylie's career. Like when you look back, I mean, she signed with an album label called Deconstruction, and as Rick was saying, she she literally probably did need to deconstruct herself strip completely back she started that process with km94 but here she's come back and completely refined and 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 then was able to build from the ground up again obviously leading back into light years i also think it's worth noting that impossible princess wasn't the commercial failure that a lot of people try to label it as i mean it wasn't as successful as a lot of her albums but it sold more than kylie minogue it sold more than let's get to it well, worldwide, we're talking here. Cold, cl- it, yep. it actually sold fairly close to her greatest hits album, which was the the rounding off of the PWL era. It didn't go, and and in Australia, my God, in Australia, it was actually it was a hit. I would go that far. It was a hit. I think it went to number four, um, and just it's hard to describe being here in Australia at that time. It wasn't just about the chart numbers and the sales. It was exactly what you were saying, no. Rick. It was about there was this. Um, I wouldn't even call it cool. Um, that came a bit later, but there was there was a respect for her when she came out here. She was interviewed, and the and the intimate and live concerts they sold out in seconds. Uh, maybe it was a lead up to the Olympics. It was just a healthy spirit and a positivity for Kylie Minogue in that time in Australia, at least. I went to the intimate live in Newcastle, and I honestly expected there to be about three or four hundred people there, because I didn't know that many Kylie fans in Newcastle existed, <laughs> and there, there was about hiding, three thousand of us. Oh, it was, we were so close. Like, we're right up against the stage, and it was just the atmosphere. And the love in that room mm. at that time for her was unbelievable. Like, a goosebumps right from the start all the way through, and you could just feel it. And I was like, I was still in shock at the end that there was so many other Kylie fans that were in Newcastle. And I was like, where the hell have you all been hiding? <laughs> I was starting to feel like I was the only goddamn one. <laughs> And, and it was also the period where she started to take ownership and um, and show some affection for her back catalogue as well around this time. Because yeah. during the KM94 period, and certainly during the Greatest Hits period even, she was trying to distance herself big time. And it was a shame for some fans because we liked that time. And I think here's where the end of that concert show is better of a devil you know and all of that. She just she was starting to bring it home, you know, rework. And, How extraordinary was I? I should be so lucky. Exactly, but that was a that was a massive turning point, massive, and that was around the time she read the same song at the Poetry Olympics too on Nick Cave's advice. <laughs> With Nick Cave, mm, mm. that's on YouTube. Because I remember now, her boy. saying, "There's God that. out there." <laughs> I remember queuing for tickets. So in Sydney, I was in Sydney at the time. Um, you know, the shows it became like it was two, then it was three, then it was four, then it was twelve. Thinking a bit of um, yeah, having a kind of a smaller ambition and letting it kind of grow naturally and um create that kind of momentum through just for credibility again too gareth because back then there was still that residue in the media about she can't sing it's all lights and lasers and and you know puff and frills but this was stripped right back and it it did i mean she proves something every time she tours but this one in particular it proved she's a uh, I was going to swear that she is a freaking amazing performer live. 
and she knows what she's doing. She owns a stage. She can sing. She can dance. She can be mature on stage. She was. It, this was just a, an incredible turning point in her career. If you don't own the album, buy it, live it, love it. <laughs> it's the greatest album. And just let everything go. Just sit back, relax, and just enjoy the show. Class of red and or white, mood lighting, and this on a good sound system, right? Bloody Impossible remixes to me stand very highly as a, you know, if it's it's kind of what the album could have been if it had been more dance orientated, but the remixes are quite spectacular. So I would I would also put a, you know, try and track down the old two CD version of it somewhere, but yeah. impossible remixes. It's the one with that Bye. bright orange cover, isn't it? Yeah. We've had an interesting stroll down memory lane exploring the contradiction that is Impossible Princess. Thank you both for your time. Thanks, Thank you. gentlemen.